everybody! Good news and bad news. Good news is, I got a bunch of new equipment. Bad news is, none of it is compatible with the software I use because I bought the wrong thing. So in the very near future, expect a drastic improvement on sound quality, but for now, we'll stick to the old setup and I'm going to use it to tell you a story about a body in a hotel room in Texas. My second self and I. Let's go, Alex! Righto. Came across this story the other day, and it is right up this show's wheelhouse. Starts crazy and ends crazier. We're going to Beaumont, Texas today, which is only about two hours away from where I am currently sitting. I've never been there, but it's an oil boom town a little bit east of Houston, so imagine, like, Diet Houston, and you're probably pretty close. This is going to be one of the longer-ish episodes. We've got quite a bit to cover, and I'm going to have fun with it because it's fucking ridiculous what happens in this story. We are at the MCM Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, which means we get to do something super fun that we haven't got to do in a while. Weird reviews! Is what I would be saying if there were any that were worth reading. A lot of times, when I read through reviews of different places, there's that one person that doesn't know how to leave a review, like that one lady in the Texarkana episode that reviewed a hotel instead of the barbecue place. Didn't find anything entertaining enough to bother with, though, so we'll just get on with the story. Gotta give credit where credit's due real quick. Vanity Fair put out a really good piece you can find online if you want to read through it for yourself. Oh yeah, one other thing. Alex, how can I help you, sir? I want you to do something for me. I want you to do a different voice today. Like what kind of voice? Eh, I don't really care. Just uh, something to help distinguish yourself from me. But I am you! I know, but this is an audio format, so... Plus, what do we always say? It's important to try new things. Does it have to be the same voice every time? Just however the moment strikes you will be okay. Well, alright. Then I'll get to experiment with different sounds today, eh? I think. Right! Maybe you'll figure out a way to do British without it devolving into Australian. I seriously don't know why that always happens. Alright, that's enough setup. We can go ahead and get on with it now. We're going to be talking about a man named Greg Flinnegan today. Greg, as we're going to know him, is just rolling into town on a business trip for a stay at the luxurious Elegante Hotel. I couldn't find any worth telling you all about, but there were more than a handful of reviews criticizing the cleanliness of this place. Oh, and in more than one review, somebody mentioned a lady named Amanda that works there, and she's awesome according to those reviewers, so I guess if you end up going here, say hi to Amanda because she's awesome. Oh, maybe we should go one day. No. Greg was not unfamiliar with living a more isolated life. In his earlier years, Greg would spend months at sea as the chief engineer on ocean vessels. During the middle age stage of his life, he decided to anchor the ocean life and settle into a more land-based lifestyle. His routine for most nights, this one included, was to dress down as comfortably as he could and organize his belongings next to his suitcase and on any other provided hotel amenities. He'd turn on the AC, prop up a couple of pillows against the headboard, lay out a towel on the bed so he didn't get the spread dirty. On the towel, he would lay out cigarettes, an ashtray, a lighter, the remote to the TV, his phone, and some candy. He would do this almost religiously in different places he'd stay, and September 15, 2010 was no different. He was in room 348 at the Elegante, and the movie of the evening was Iron Man 2. Great movie, haven't seen it in a while. And if you haven't seen the Gulf Coast region with your own eyes, let me describe it to you. The Gulf Coast is a rather large area, but it's mainly the span of I-10 that we're concerned with. 
If you drive this highway, first of all, be careful. Second, be prepared to see no shortage of the following. Ooh, it's a list. I love these. Cell phone towers, oil derricks, billboards, truck stops, refineries, roadside fruit stands, local honey, water, barbed wire fences, swamps, a way too long bridge that goes through the swamp, ogres, alligators, donkeys, fairy tale creatures, and all the way at the very end of the swamp bridge and everywhere else in between is an adult video super center highlighted by neon purple lights and advertising. What did you think all the billboards were for? I'm unclear if Greg encountered any ogres or other magic things on his commute, but he did encounter an email sent by his wife Susie a little bit after 7 that evening. She was giving a status report on some boring tax shit she was working on, to which Greg replied, You're doing good, babe. And as soon as he hangs up the phone, he says to himself, What the fuck do I care? I'm watching Robert Downey Jr. beat up Mickey Rourke while I eat candy, smoke cigarettes, and drink root beer. You know, if it weren't for the cigarettes, that would sound like a wild Wednesday night for some teenage nerds. Not me, though. I didn't like root beer until I was in my 30s. But old Greg is just sitting there, minding his own business, when he is suddenly struck by something. Hard. He manages to get up out of bed, up onto his feet, takes a couple of steps towards the door, and falls face first onto the carpet. Dead. What the fuck? How? Oh, you wanna know how? I'll tell you how. Those fucking aliens, man. These little green guys just popped into existence right there on the bed and shot this crazy ray gun at him and his heart exploded, man. It was fucking crazy. I saw it. Okay, so, love it, great story, love the enthusiasm, but, um, what really happened? Don't worry, I will also tell you that. Eventually. The next morning, Susie called Greg's office as she normally did. He hadn't picked up his phone, and nobody had seen him at the office, so a couple of people from the office went to the hotel to check on him. What they found caused an ambulance and the cops to show up. A middle-aged man dead on the rug with a cigarette still in his left hand with a wet spot on the crotch of his pajamas. A strange detail, I know, but not uncommon, turns out, and will become relevant later. Enter Detective Scott Apple, but probably ask for consent first. Scott Apple is 100% authority. If you were going to cast a detective character based solely on appearance, he's your guy. Dark, well-tailored suit, short gray hair that he wears in spikes, average height, above average physical fitness, and a jawline superior to all others. His wife is also a cop while well, he met on the job doing the most extreme form of cop stuff. Scott Apple was on the SWAT team and is one of those guys that just doesn't know when to quit. We have concluded our open auditions and we cast Scott Apple as lead detective for The Body in Room 348. If I were theater director, that's how I would talk to all of my actors. As if I'm delivering a poignant line Every time I say anything! Luckily, for all of you out there, I'm not one, so I'll just proceed like normal. There are a few problems with what's going on inside this room. There are zero signs of a struggle, nothing is broken, no blood, no apparent injuries to Mr. Greg on the floor over there, his wallet is still in his back pocket with a stack of $100 bills crammed into it. The only obvious thing about the room is that Greg was dead in it. Apple concluded that his death must have been from some sort of natural causes thing, and even searched for pills or something else that might point to a cause of death, but there was none. Susie proclaimed that Greg was disinterested in keeping up with physical fitness and other health fads. He was a lifelong chain smoker and pretty much just ate and drank whatever he wanted whenever he felt like. That would be nice, wouldn't it? 
I'm in this weird point in my life where I'm starting to become more conscious of what I eat and how I take care of myself, but I really just want to sit around and eat candy and do exactly what this guy's doing all the time. Not the drinking part, but food. All of it. Give me all of the food. I don't care. I ate sea snake the other day, and it was decent. Bring me delicious food. Poor Susie was all too familiar with the idea of Greg suddenly dying, but not like this. If he had succumbed to overindulgence, there would at least be a clue as to how he died, but this is just confusing and sad. Even considering that Greg had a humorous approach toward death and dying, if he'd heard of someone suddenly dying, he'd say, eh, Lucky bastard, that's how I want to go out. Which is something I personally said I can't tell you how many times. I don't want to die, but I know one day I'm going to, and when I do, I want it to be in my sleep. Just go to bed and wake up as a whole new person. Maybe. Let's move on. After a photographer recorded the scene, the body was transferred to the medical examiner for an autopsy. Dr. Tommy Brown performed the autopsy to his methodically rigid structure of doing so and documented the findings. You can sort of imagine Doc Brown for this guy. He's got kind of that same hair and mad scientist energy going on, but for all of his eccentricities, anything that came out of his office was essentially gospel. He was usually correct and therefore respected. Well, what did he find? Was there anything useful in the autopsy? Not a whole lot, actually. There was a one-inch abrasion on his left cheek from where he hit the carpet, and a half-inch laceration on his scrotum. How did that get there? Something had struck him hard, and whatever it was left bruising along the groin area and the right hip. If you've only ever heard the word scrotum before now and never bothered looking it up, it's the ball sack also known as the port where the underpants navy is deployed from. Aye, aye, it's also responsible for the wet spot on the front of his PJs. And then it um, only gets more confusing when they actually open him up. Inside the body, there was extensive damage to the torso and just tons and tons of blood, which is good. It's supposed to be in there. There's also partially digested food all over the place that had been ripped out from his intestines somehow. More lacerations on the stomach and liver, two broken ribs, and a hole in the left atrium of the heart. Apple determined the groin injury must have been from a hard kick and that he must have been beaten severely. He would have likely bled out in 30 seconds from those injuries. This would prove to be an incredibly frustrating case to work on. His injuries were similar to those seen in car crash victims or somebody crushed by something like a falling object, but nothing about the physical evidence added up. At all. How and why are the two most important questions you can ask, and neither of them have answers. How did he sustain such extreme internal injuries without showing any external signs or markers? If he did get beat in the hotel, how did nobody hear it, and why is the cigarette still in his hand? With no other avenues to venture down, Apple began talking to Susie. Greg wasn't the type of guy to have any enemies. Hell, he'd even married Susie on two different occasions. The first time was when she was a singer in a rock band in her 20s, which is cool as shit, then again later on in life, and that lasted for 15 years and up to the day in question. Greg kept to himself, was well-liked, didn't ruffle any feathers, wasn't a philanderer, no reason to suspect the guy of any wrongdoing whatsoever. Damn, it sounds like it would have been a cool guy to talk to. 
Probably had lots of weird stories from traveling or being at sea. Yeah, sailor stories are always interesting. Then while reviewing the maintenance logs at the hotel one night, they discovered that Greg had accidentally blown an electrical circuit by using the microwave. He made some popcorn to watch Iron Man 2 and blew the whole thing up, which also affected rooms 349 directly next door and a few rooms below his. As it turns out, the maintenance man had a sexual offense rap sheet a mile long, so a new theory was hatched. Maybe the maintenance guy was a violent sadist and took his frustrations out on old Greg? He might well have been, but beyond that thought being born, it went no further. The other lead to investigate was the neighboring clique of electricians that were also staying at the hotel that night. Maybe they were drinking it up having a good time in 349 right next door when the microwave blew up the circuit. And maybe one of them had an unfriendly exchange with Greg in the hallway, and maybe that led to a drunken hallway brawl. And maybe an interesting theory, but no, it wouldn't hold much water either. None of them claimed to have had any sort of interaction with old Greg. While talking to the men about nine days after Greg's death, a few interesting things were revealed, though. Apple interviewed the two men in room 349. They were Lance Mueller and Tim Steinmetz. The only information they could provide, however, was that when they arrived home from the bar, they thought they might have heard Greg coughing. The other three electricians down the hallway were Trent Pisano, Thomas Elkins, and Scott Hamilton, which, if you gave me any random three names to guess if their job title was electrician, if those names were in the pool of names to pick from, those would be the ones I would pick. Those sounds like electrician names. And apart from one of those guys thinking that the body on the gurney was some sort of decorative cake, they didn't have anything to provide either. Six grueling months of zero progress and useless information about mistaken pastries go by, and in November, Apple bakes up a new scheme to get information. A crispy, warm, flaky, and delicious $50,000 reward which produces nothing! A seemingly worthless gesture, but if not for that, it may not have led him to his next decision, hiring a former FBI agent and now private investigator Ken Brennan! Ken Brennan is a former Long Island police officer and DEA agent who now spends most of his time in Florida as a private investigator. A ruggedly handsome, fit man of 60, Ken Brennan looks every bit the part of an older, retired Long Island policeman. Mostly white hair, gold around his neck and wrists, and rings on multiple fingers, this guy's not fucking around. That's why when he answered the phone on the first ring one February morning on the golf course, Susie on the other end of the phone was so shocked that he answered the phone himself, she couldn't even get the story out. Yeah, that happens to me a lot when I order pizza. I get startled at them answering too soon and just completely forget my order. Thanks for calling generic pizza chain, how can I help you? I don't know, goodbye! I know for sure at least one other person out there has done that. Matt, why did Susie call Ken? Oh, because she had deets. Can you elaborate on said deets? It's literally why I'm here. See, early on in the investigation, a lawyer friend had told Susie and her brother Michael about Ken and his stellar reputation. After turning up so few answers with Apple on the case, Susie called Ken to provide him with the details surrounding Greg's death. So she's just branching out looking for more answers? Pretty much. Nothing against Apple, but sometimes you need a fresh banana instead. Something else that would make this smoothie taste even better, so to speak. Gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, does it, though? Well, regardless of my teetering on coherent ramblings, the following April, Brennan visited Susie in Lafayette and just really put the screws to her trying to probe information out of her. Stuff about insurance, their relationship, Greg's faithfulness, all the stuff that could potentially point to foul play. Then he says, let me ask you one more thing. 
Was there anything about the crime scene that didn't seem right to you? It seemed off. Susie replied, telling him how he liked to crank up the AC, as he liked to keep his room nice and cool, but that she was surprised the room was so warm. May in Beaumont in a hotel with no AC turned on? I guarantee you that room was like 84 degrees by the time they found him. It gets fucking hot in Texas. We're about to slither into swamp season here, and I'm not about that life, son. It's disrespectfully hot down here. Anyway, after he met with Susie, Brennan packed up and went to Beaumont to meet with Detective Apple. I friggin' love that as a last name, by the way. Ken had been doing this job for a long time. Part of why he wanted to meet with Apple was to see how compatible their two personalities would be. The two met at a sports bar, talked, ate, drank some cold beer, both men sizing the other one up. Then Brennan tells Apple what he tells everyone he's ever worked with. Listen, I'm not a maverick. I don't go doing things half-cocked. If I decide we're going to do this, we're going to do it as a team. There's nothing I'm going to do that you're not going to know about, and there should be nothing that you're going to do that I don't know about. The one thing I won't do is fuck up your case. I've been doing this a long time, but I also know that you're the guy in charge here, so it's your case. Neither man was eager to work closely with a man they didn't like. Luckily, they got along well enough. Apple simply said later, Ken has good people skills. So the following morning, the timeline begins to come into view a little bit more clearly. Once Apple and Brennan arrive at the crime scene, Brennan states rather boldly, I think I know how this guy died, I think I know when this guy died, I think I know who killed him, and I think I know how we're going to catch him. To which Apple appropriately responded, Come on! No, 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 come on, hear me out, hear me out. I'll tell you what I think, but I just gotta call this guy's wife first. I imagine Apple with the, the stankiest look of disbelief as Brennan's dialing Susie up. Like, if you saw someone walking down the road and their dog took a shit on the sidewalk and then they picked it up and put it next to the trash can, that look on your face is what I'm imagining on Apple's face right now. So, Susie answers the phone and Brennan asks her the following question. Your husband, was he left-handed or right-handed? He was right-handed. And when he smoked, did he smoke the cigarette with his left hand or his right hand? Right hand. He always smoked with his right hand. You sure? I'm positive. Nicely done, Alex. Very convincing woman voice. Your pleasure. Apple still probably had... Apple still probably had that same look on his face when he hung up the phone. Brendan began to explain what he knew. You see... The maintenance record showed that repairman had left at 8.30 p.m. and Greg was still alive. He forgot to turn the AC back on and resumed watching the movie, but before he could notice the room was getting warm, he was dead. This is another reason why I like Brennan. He said the reason he was found in such a warm room was, quote, It's September. It's hot as fuck in Beaumont, Texas. I literally just said that like three minutes ago. This guy's alright. He went on to explain that the cigarette in his non-dominant hand ruled out being beaten elsewhere and placed back inside the hotel room, even if it was just out in the hallway. If there had been, there might have been an explanation why the room was not a complete disaster. It's incredibly unlikely that any attackers would take the time to so gingerly place the body back into the room or to delicately place his cigarette in his hand. So whatever happened caused Greg to jump from the bed, switch cigarette from his right hand to his left hand so he could grab the door handle with his right hand, and then old Greg falls dead somewhere in between still clutching the cigarette. 
So what the hell did even happen? We're getting there. Brennan couldn't quite figure it out yet, and he was getting frustrated because nothing about the scene added up. Considering all the physical evidence pointed to Greg literally just sitting there minding his own business one minute and then dead on the floor the next minute, he asks Apple about the next door electricians. Maybe there's something over there. Maybe one of them was a not so friendly neighbor after all. It's, what did they say? Apple said they were actually very nice and that he didn't see anything off color. Then the two went off to interview Dr. Brown, were running out of ideas, to see if the injuries could even be caused by a severe beating. Brown said it was indeed possible, and that the laceration on the scrotum could be from a very hard kick. For example, if the person was wearing steel-toed boots, which the electricians did wear. So now they kinda know some more stuff, but they don't really know any new stuff yet. This would be so aggravating. However, we are getting a little bit closer each step of the way, with little bits of details starting to piece themselves together. It's why Brennan had learned to be patient when things didn't make sense and to just follow the evidence. Now armed with their new kinda information, they began to review hotel surveillance footage of the night in question. Noticing Greg arriving from work and the electricians all coming and going from their respective cars, but nothing suspicious or noteworthy. Brennan knew from years of detective work that human beings are reliably predictable at times. If any of the electricians at the hotel that night had known about what happened, at least one or two of their friends would probably have heard about it. We kinda can't help but tell people about stuff sometimes. Like, has anybody listening to this ever been asked, how are you doing today? And you answered honestly, but don't really know why? That's why. Sometimes you just can't help it. It just comes out. Like whenever I go on my little rants every now and then, like, I'm not writing this part, this is not scripted, I'm just going, I'm looking at my stuff on the walls and my ceiling and my new equipment that I can't really use yet, but you guys should stay excited for and all the other stuff in here. That's kind of just what your brain does sometimes. You got to get stuff out, but we're going back onto the story now. So now begins the process of interviewing the electricians and their co-workers to see if anyone had heard anything. And eventually they talked to a man named Aaron Burke. A. Aaron said he had heard something about a gun going off or something like that, but they couldn't get any more details out of him. Apple corrected the man, saying that it wasn't a gunshot, no, no, this was about a man who got in a fight at the hotel. The two went back and forth for a minute, but Aaron hadn't heard anything about a fight, just the maybe gunshot. After Aaron left, Brennan looked at Apple and said, We gotta go back to the hotel. Why? We already went there and we didn't find anything. Yeah, but now we're gonna look for a bullet. This has got to be exhausting, I'm tired for them. No kidding. Going nowhere fast, having to drive all over Beaumont in the middle of swamp season, getting only half-answered questions. Not to mention, traffic is stupid here, so having to deal with that and the heat are two different monsters that you have to fight at the same time. If you don't have AC in your car and you live here, you'll die before you get where you're going. That's how hot it is here. It's stupid. I think I've said this before. A good Gulf Coast region simulator would be taking your clothes out of the dryer about 20 minutes too early. That's what my summers are like. So they finally ooze back into the hotel room and begin scouring the place from top to bottom looking for a bullet hole or a casing or something. 
They check the floors, the walls, the ceilings, the furniture, everything. Getting on their hands and their knees with flashlights and magnifying glasses. Brennan got down there and got rug burn on his hand from searching too hard. And Apple slid his hand across the carpet that had a guitar string lodged in there from God only knows when. Stabbed himself pretty good in his main finger. His what? Okay, those last two things didn't happen. But they did find a very small patch repair hole in the wall behind the door. It wasn't quite lined up with where the doorknob would have hit the wall, so they had to call the maintenance guy to come and lock room 349 next door to investigate something over there, and sure as shit, on the other side of the wall was a roughly bullet-sized hole that had been patched with dried toothpaste. Brennan measured the height of the hole, matched it to the exit point on the other side of the room in 348, and boom, bam, baby, bunny, we got us a case now! Beaumont police came in, verified the trajectory with a laser pointer, that's cool. And Brennan says something cooler, the most cop thing I've ever heard, quote, This motherfucker was shot! We should probably do a quick little recap, real quick. Greg, an important and very intelligent engineer who spent much of his life at sea doing science, was staying at a questionably hospitable hotel in Beaumont. He makes some popcorn, the microwave explodes the circuit for his room and a few others, repairman comes and fixes it, Greg continues his relaxing evening, is struck with something, and then dies still holding his cigarette. Autopsy reveals that Greg's injuries are consistent with being beaten to death somehow, and after exhausting all resources and leads, Apple and Brennan discover that it might very well have been a bullet that killed Greg, leaving our beloved detective duo with yet another instance of knowing more information without really knowing more of what happened. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. Alex, do you have anything you'd like to add? I want ice cream! Okay, moving on. Imagination time. Medical examiner's office. Shit everywhere. Not body stuff, office stuff. Papers, folders, books, important data, paper clips, etc. Dr. Brown's office was a wreck, and here he was sitting in front of two not-doctors telling him that his official doctor paperwork was wrong and needed to be rewritten. Why? Because I missed a bullet wound? Excuse me, sirs. What? How dare you? Have you seen how dirty my office is? Is organized chaos not the telltale sign of an intelligent man? It may seem like a tornado blew through here mere moments ago to you, but I assure you I have designated levels of importance for each pile of stuff in different areas of this office, and I know exactly where every single one of my most important notes are. I most certainly did not miss a bullet wound. Brennan suggested the doctor humor them and go over the autopsy photos as an exhumation was entirely out of the question. Greg had been cremated, so if there was a bullet still in him somewhere, it was long since disintegrated by the furnace. Dr. Brown obliged, and the two began passing photos back and forth, liver, spleen, intestines, etc. again. Brennan asks if this damage could have been caused by a bullet, which of course the doctor confirms it could have, but it definitely wasn't. As Dr. Brown was explaining how this was a beating and definitely not a shooting because I'm the best doctor in the world and I no way did I miss a bullet wound, Brennan notices something in one of the photos of the heart. It says, Doc, that's a bullet hole. What? What are you talking about? That is a fucking bullet hole! Brown takes a closer look, and you can hear the defeat in his voice as he looks closer and responds with, that's a fucking bullet hole. <laughs> How much trouble do you think he's in? <laughs> um, I'm guessing 
Let's see, just based on what I know and have learned over the past year of podcasting, reading about all these different things, I would say somewhere in the ballpark of slap on the wrist to minor inconvenience, though not as much of an inconvenience to Tim Steinmetz, remember him? He was one of the electricians next door along with Lance Mueller. The two of them were set in front of the two Texas cops who'd flown all the way to Wisconsin to visit them. That's where we are now, by the way. We're up in Wisconsin. And right before this interview with Apple and Brennan, Tim and Lance were hanging out with a guy we haven't heard from in a little while. They were grubbing down with Tony No Rears over in Spooner earlier that day at the Fish Fry. Hey, yeah, what is Tony up to? Is he still cave diving or spelunking or whatever it was he was super into? It was rock climbing, and yeah, I think so. You know what? Wait, hold on. Um... He actually called me the other day and left me a voicemail. Let's see what he's got to say. What's going on with old Tony? Hey guys, sorry I ain't been down to visit in a while. I've been real busy up here trying out a new profession. I still rat climb on the weekends. I won a contest last Saturday and got $250. Took my lady out to a fish fry and had a real good time. But I found a new passion for motivational dating advice. Basically, all I do is listen to what people tell me, and then I respond with any random Shakespeare quote, and they give me 20 bucks if it resonates in some way. I haven't made a dime yet, but you know what they say, do what you love and the money will come. And you all know I love a good black and white movie, so this Shakespeare guy might end up being a good friend of mine. Any what's, I better get going, I gotta go meet with a client. And if it all goes well, I'm going to splurge on a big old bag of cheese curds. Bye! We're going to have to have a talk with him about classical theater at some point, and maybe some other stuff too. But the two detectives also had to have a talk with Steinmetz. They sat across from him and were equipped with many files and documents. It was all very official looking and intimidating. A routine interview, as the detectives pointed out, and Tim cooperated to the fullest extent, except for the part about the gun. Other than that, he gave up all information willingly and without provocation. Brennan asked if he'd heard about the man next door dying. Steinmetz said he had heard, but we didn't really know for sure what the hell was going on. We had no idea. We didn't hear no commotion coming from next door, no banging, no nothing. That's why this is kind of weird. The two detectives took notes and written statements from Tim and had him read back out loud to make any necessary revisions that they may have made. He initials in all the appropriate places document is notarized right there in the interview room and as Tim stood up to ask was that it? Brennan responds now with a very aggressive tone it was until you signed that statement now you have a problem okay Tim said now tell us what really happened because we know what happened because now you're going to jail with him do you want to go to jail with Lance? wait a minute wait 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 why am I going to jail? well you just made a false police report so faced with no other alternative, Tim lays out the whole story. Here's how this shit went down. Trent Pisano, Mueller, and Steinmetz were in 349, drinking some beer, having a good old time. Lance asked Pisano to get some whiskey from his car, and also his 9mm Ruger. Why do guns always come out with the alcohol? Those two things should stay separate. So they all three start fucking around with the gun, because Whiskey Ruger is a really fun game to play in a hotel room. Also a good song title, I'll have to hold on to that for later. Mueller pointed the gun at Steinmetz, and then at Pisano, and then at the foot of the bed, and then the fucking thing goes off! Luckily, none of the men had been hit, but there was a bullet hole in the wall behind them. So gun time is over, Lance wraps it up, takes it back to his car, Pisano goes back to his room, 
and Tim and Lance take themselves to the bar. And that stray random bullet will kill their boy Greg? Sure is. They were still kind of curious about the cough coming from 348, but they decided to leave that alone and have Tim call Lance and record the conversation while they spoke to each other. They go back and forth for a little while, Tim explaining how the interview went. Tim said, I told them what really happened. And there was a long silence on the other end of the phone. You mean about the gun going off and all that? Yeah. Lance didn't want to believe it when they told him that the guy died from the gun going off. No way. No way in hell. My lawyer said so. There's no way. He didn't die from a bullet wound. There's no way in hell. There's no way in those photos. There's not a bullet wound in those photos. And then this is funny. Lance asked how Tim was doing after he calmed down a little bit. Tim, how are you holding up with this whole thing? Tim said, not good. I need to go drink some more beers. And apparently Lance thought that was such a good idea. He said, you know what? I'm going to go do the exact same thing, and then I'm going to drunk dial Brandon to try to make my own statement. So he does that after drinking all day at the bar, probably also getting loaded on cheese curds, calls Brandon up trying to tell him his side of the story. Brandon responds with, in true Brandon fashion at this point, you're drunk. I suggest you call your fucking attorney. I like Brandon. He talks like how people talk. I don't know if anybody else out there is like this, but if I'm on YouTube or somewhere and stumble across someone that actually says shit and fuck and whatever else, wherever appropriate, that's an instant subscribe for me. I think it's because it feels more genuine. I feel like a lot of people kind of censor themselves a bit for the sake of not turning away listeners or subscribers or because the almighty algorithm might not pick their content to push forward. I say... Commit fully to yourself and your own personality, or in my case, personalities, and just fucking do what feels right, and eventually, if it's supposed to work, it'll work, and if not, somebody will probably tell you along the way where and how you fucked up, and then you can take it from there. Don't completely disregard other people's inputs, perspective is very helpful, but don't disregard your own input or what feels right to you either. You gotta kinda take it all in stride. Yeah, and sometimes you can use negative feedback as a positive energy source if you can rework the way you think about stuff. Sometimes, yeah. Take some practice getting used to the initial shock, though. And, um, by the way, speaking of initial shocks, on October 29th, 2012, as the judge began reading out Lance's sentencing, Brennan felt a twinge of, oh shit, course through him. Nice segue. Thanks. It just kind of worked out this time. Good for me, I guess. The judge sounded like he was going to take some leniency on his situation as it sort of was an accident, but then he also considered the series of poor decisions that led up to that accident. Drunkenly playing with the gun, retrieving it from his car after he was already drunk, shooting a hole in the wall and into Greg, which tore through him from scrotum to heart, then patching the hole with toothpaste and giving the gun to a lawyer friend for safekeeping, all added up to being sentenced to about half of what the law allowed. If at any point during the roughly eight-month investigation, the charges may have been lessened or even dropped, but at every opportunity, Lance hedged his bets on nobody ever finding any connection to himself and Greg's death. Brennan was satisfied with the outcome of the trial as he had a hell of an uphill battle because the DA was hesitant to prosecute it as a felony. We're in Texas, remember? A gun going off by accident isn't an uncommon phenomenon here, so juries tend to be a little more lenient on things like that. Brennan was having exactly none of that shit, and our friend Alex is going to tell you exactly what he said. And it's long and angry and pretty awesome. 
Alex, take it away, buddy. I suggest you go down there with a search warrant and a fucking blowtorch and go get the fucking weapon. It's evidence of a capital crime. What the fuck are you talking about? The victim was important to everybody here. And we're not going to let this thing be brushed under the rug and let somebody take a plea on this. This is not a fucking accident. An accident is when somebody comes in, has taken off their gun, their gun discharges, and, God forbid, somebody's hit. That's one thing. It's completely different when somebody fucking brings a gun that they shouldn't have into another fucking state, shit-faced drunk, fucking around with a gun. The people with him realize that something bad could happen. He discharges a round, almost kills the guy he's with, then he does kill somebody on the other side of the wall. He knows that's something that could happen. It's an occupied hotel. He doesn't even bother to knock on the door next door to see if anybody's hurt. And after that, his answer to the whole thing is to go get drunk some more in the fucking bar of the hotel. And then when he sees a body being taken out the next day, and he's 100% certain he's killed somebody, he decides not to say anything about it, but run to his attorney and leave the fucking weapon in a safe, and the fucking attorney doesn't say anything about it either? You know what that is? That's fucking murder. So if you think you're gonna forget about this fucking thing, think again. Because that ain't fucking happening. I think the reason I enjoy Brennan is because he's right about being so angry about this, but he isn't the only person that was angry. Susie had a chance to speak her piece to Lance as well, and it's just as poignant, but way more of a fuck-off than Brennan laid out. She said, Alex, don't worry, I got this one, rest your voice. Susie said, I have waited over two years to look you in the face, eye to eye, and simply have the chance to speak to you directly. You would never have come forward with the truth. You murdered him. No, you didn't intentionally seek him out to murder him, but you murdered him, with every lie you told, with every intentional selfish deception, with every cover-up over and over again. You saw his body taken out of the room in a body bag the next day. You knew you killed him. He meant nothing to you. The last words Susie spoke to Lance cut just as deep as the ten-year sentence the judge handed down for manslaughter. You have met your match. I would have spent the rest of my life tracking you down, and I found you, Greg's murderer. I brought you to justice. I don't know if Lance is out of prison yet. I couldn't find any recent articles that might tell me anything, but I hope either way he's doing okay now. I understand you have to be held responsible for your actions, but I also don't think there was any malice in what Greg... Who? Lance? I don't think there was any malice in what Lance did. This is the problem that Brendan had getting the DA to prosecute. The series of events is kinda understandable in Texas. Whiskey Ruger is pretty fun game for a lot of people here, so I can also see the tragic accident side of the argument too. Apple and Brennan celebrated after the trial and agreed to play a round of golf together sometime, another very cop thing to do, but I don't know how much contact they've kept in with each other. So there's the story about a mysterious death in a Beaumont hotel. What a horrible way to die. Ball sack first, really? And then straight to the heart? I guess the only positive spin I can put on that would be that it was fast, at least. Ow, my balls! I better get up! <sighs> Fast, at least, I guess. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around to the very end. I hope I was able to provide some humor and insight to your day, as always. 
And since you stuck around for this long, I want to ask you a question, and you can answer with a review, or I think these are also going on YouTube, but I don't really check that that often. But I want to know what kind of things about content consumption annoy you the most, including this show. For me, it's actually kind of the call to action stuff. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not really asking for extra followers or reviewers or subscribers that much anymore because I feel like that, again, takes the genuinity out of the content. It's 2023. We know what to do now. An example of this, if you go on YouTube, a lot of things are like, statistics indicate that X percent of you are not subscribed, or what fucking ever they say. To me, that's the same thing as walking up to somebody with a cigarette or a vape and saying, you know that's bad for you, right? We fucking know and we fucking don't care. I'll subscribe to you if I like the genre and if you speak like how a real person speaks. That's it. Very short list. So yeah, anyway, carry on with your life, and I'll see you again in the next episode. But if you want to talk to a stranger about annoying content tropes, figure out how to do that. You're smart, and I'll reply personally. All right, to be fair, YouTube, and I have a Facebook page, but I'm not very active on them, so not a lot of options for commenting, but if you want to, there they are. We will respond personally. Alex and I are the only ones that we need to help make stuff because we're our own best friend. And that's enough out of us for today anyway. The next episode will be an anthology, so be prepared for that. Going to try to do that again this following Sunday, but you know how life can go sometimes. Going to force myself back into a weekly routine eventually. But until then, stay kind. <laughs>